What up, though? Welcome to the Fat Boy MMA Podcast, where we talk about everything combat sports, but mainly MMA. If you want to hear a couple regular MMA fans talk about MMA history, notable fighters, up-and-coming fighters, and everything in between, then this is the podcast for you. Now, I should warn you, we're not professionals, but we are big fans of combat sports. Now, if that sits good with you, grab a beverage, sit back, relax, and let's go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fat Boy MMA Podcast. I'm your host, DC. And of course, I got my co-host here with me, Locke. Hey, what's going on, everyone? So for today's episode, we got uh, two big topics. Um, the first topic, um, I ended up seeing something that, uh, you know, former UFC middleweight champion uh, Luke Rockhole had ended up talking about in an interview. And so, of course, I shot it over to you and wanted to kind of get your input on it. But he was talking about the UFC's bonus structure. And um, he kind of he basically said that 50 grand is bullshit and it should be closer to 200 grand because they've been giving out 50 grand since forever. And so um, I kind of looked at that and looked at some other things. And I said, you know, what? that would be an interesting topic. I really never thought about it before. And so I want to shoot it over to you first and kind of get your opinion on what he said on the bonus structure, everything like that. And, you know, just overall what your thoughts are. So I'm not usually a guy that agrees with Lou Rockhold a lot. But when you sent me that, I really, I really was behind this idea because, you know, I'm always in favor of paying the fighters more money no matter what. I think they should be making more money. I think they should get a bigger cut of, you know, per event of the revenue. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's an argument as old as time. <laughs> you, you know, that's the one of the go-to MMA discussions. And we could beat that horse, you know, forever. But this I actually like because if you, we're not going to do that, if we're not just going to increase the fighter pay overall, I feel like this is a good almost meet in the middle because – at one point when guys are fighting for three and three, you know, that 50 grand uh, bonus is a huge bonus when you're looking at percentage right. to, to what you're earning. But, you know, now as you know, the, those numbers have moved up across the boards and you're getting some of the, a lot of these bonuses are going to these main car guys anyway. So it's not like it's the guys that are on the low end, you know, they can still make them, but they're not making the most of them. I, I feel like this is probably a, easier way to start getting more money in the fighters hands and where i know dana would disagree because dana never wants to pay the fighters more money like he he hates that (laughs) he needs another ferrari man well the reason i think this is the the best way to go is when you look at what makes the ufc so big you know as an organization what makes an event make so much money so there's two things One is you have the star power, you know, your big name fighters, they bring in eyeballs, but those guys are typically for the most part already getting paid. Some of them probably overpaid based on the record, just because the amount of eyes that they're going to bring in. Right. But the second thing that generates UFC much bunch of money is exciting fights. So if some guy, you know, if guys are out there and, those exciting fights are what ends up on ESPN Sports Center the next day. And that's what's helping to grow this sport with casual fans. So that is exciting performances are as big a part of the growth as the star power is. So I think increasing that, it's not hurting you because that's what's generating your income, anyways. So it's smart money spent, but it's going to really, you know, put a lot of. Money and some fighters' pockets. So I think it's it's a great way to at least start moving in that direction. Yeah, I mean, to your point with the exciting fights, as we know, an exciting fight is what saved the UFC. It wasn't the most talented fighters. It wasn't the biggest personalities. It was Stefan Bonner, Forrest Griffith, going toe-to-toe, just throwing punches with no defense, and everybody the numbers just start going up going up going up because everybody as dana white put it was calling other people and saying, hey 
these two guys are beating the shit out of each other on, you know, and, um, you know, those type of performances to your point, that's a big part of what grows the sport. Um, I definitely think that the bonuses should go up. I didn't really think about it beforehand because the talk is usually so much, as you mentioned, around the general fighter pay, right? How much are they, you know, their, their, um, uh, show money, their bonus money. Uh, I, I mean, win bonuses, um, pay-per-view stuff like that. Nobody really has talked about the bonus structure, but what I did do was I went to look up the bonus structure to understand how it's went over the years. And I also did the numbers to a, adjust for inflation. So it you did appears, some real homework on this shit, man. Yeah. You know, I try to do it. I, I try to get better. You, you know, had to break out the I'm whiteboard almost, and, uh, yeah, I'm almost professional now. Like in, <laughs> in, in like, I would say like two more years, I'll be like, you know, coming for the professionals. <laughs> you, but, you adjusted um, inflation versus actual. I, I kicked around a couple <laughs> ideas I was thinking about talking about. <laughs> So for this, it looks like the bonus structure first came about um, during Tito Ortiz versus Shamrock 3. Um, and in that fight, they introduced the bonuses and uh, they had a fight of the night, knockout of the night, and submission of the night bonus. And it was 30K per person. So for that, if you adjust for inflation, that would be $43,000 today. Okay. So it would be less than what they're making today. But this was the first thing, the inaugural kind of rolling out that bonus, right? But the bonuses increased through the years. So the next increase was during uh, UFC 83, Sarah versus St. Pierre. That was forty. Uh, that was 75K per fighter. And it was the same thing. Fight of the night, knockout of the night, submission of the night. And adjusted for inflation, that would be $102 $102,183. So even if they didn't go to 50,000 and they went to a hundred thousand, right? This was back in 2008. So if you adjust for inflation, if you're paying that same kind of money, that should be about a hundred thousand per person, you know, for these bonuses, which could make a big difference compared to 50,000. But through the years, the money went up again. The next year in 2009, at UFC 100, Lesnar versus Mir 2, the bonuses actually went to 100K. And it was the same structure, fight of the night, knockout of the night, submission of the night. And adjusted for inflation, that would be $136,245 today. Now, from there... In between those gaps, there was some fluctuation. Sometimes they would have the bonus as low as 20000 and sometimes it was as high as 60000 right? But they would have these outliers where they would do these big increases, and then they would stop. Um, the biggest Probably for bigger cards, maybe? It didn't Trying seem to, to be generate a lot big of performances on big events. Well, it didn't seem to be a lot of rhyme or reason. I'm going to show you what the very next one I'm going to speak of, right? So the very next one, um, they didn't pay it out evenly like they did before. But fight of the night, each fighter got $160,000 in bonus money, right? And that fight, I doubt you would guess what fight that was. It was UFC on versus three. Diego Sanchez versus Mark, uh, Martin Katman. Um, you wouldn't think that would be this huge, the biggest bonus that they've paid out to date per fighter in an event. You wouldn't think that it would be one, a fight on versus and two, a non-title fight with two guys that were good journeymen. Right. Um, so, but it were they, doesn't seem to be... They weren't necessarily journeymen then, right? They were kind of up-and-coming contenders? Yeah, but even then, comparatively speaking, neither has ever won a title. I don't think Capman ever fought for a title. I know uh, Sanchez did, right? But, I mean, 
it's not like these guys were like, um, you know, the modern day number one fighting number two, right? Or guys that, okay, they can't beat the champ, but they beat everybody else, right? It, it wasn't any of these scenarios where, like you said, it was just this big, big event and neither guys were big names, especially not Marcus Martin Kaplan, right? He wasn't a big name. If, if I'm not mistaken, I'm not even sure if he's a U.S. guy. I forget. But Sanchez, you know, he had he a is. name if you're in a space, right, because of the ultimate fighter. But he wasn't like, if you mention his name even today, most people won't know who you're talking about, right? So I just don't think that that was, you know, but once again, the bonus money was 160K. Now, for knockout of the night and submission of the night, they only paid 40K each for that. Okay, then as far as an event itself, the most they paid out for one event in bonus money was UFC 129 Pierre versus Shields. That was in 2011, and they paid 129,000 per, um, you know, per bonus. And they for that it was even again. So fight of the night, knockout of the night, submission of the night, and the total for that well. The 129 adjusted for inflation would be a hundred and a hundred and sixty-seven thousand six hundred and twenty-eight dollars today, but the total event for bonus was five hundred and sixteen thousand dollars adjusted for inflation. That would be a little over six hundred and seventy thousand dollars. Okay, so that's kind of where things have been. There's been some other things since then, but the last fight where they paid a $100,000 bonus or anywhere over was in 2011. So literally it's been 11 years since they've paid that kind of bonus and they pretty much went to almost exclusively $50,000 bonuses with a 60 here or occasional 70 there, right? This last event we just had, um, Glover versus uh, Jury was... 50,000, but, you know, recently, I think last year they started the crypto.com. That was when they came on board as a, um, as a sponsor for the UFC. They also give out 50,000, but they split it up amongst three people and they give it out in crypto. So what they do is it's fan votes. First place, get 30, second place, get 20 and third place, get 10. So they give out 60,000. But other than that, as far as the UFC themselves, it was 50K in bonuses, but they did give it to more people. So they had fight of the night, but of course now they do just performance of the night in general. So it can be a good, you know, performance, a good uh, knockout, a submission or whatever. And they gave that out to five people, right? But even when we look at that, so the UFC paid out $350,000 for that event in bonus money. That is, if we go back to 2011 in that event where they paid out over 500000 if we adjust it for inflation over 670000 they literally paid damn near half the money in this past event that just happened than they did over 10 years ago. That does not make sense. Right. Well, and not long after 2011, then they also eventually bring in the Reebok deal where the UFC makes a ton of money, but that cuts into the fighter's cut. So, and the, now it's Venom. Right now it's Venom, but Venom is a little bit more fighter friendly, but just the whole concept overall is, you know, if you're a very marketable guy, and I know they make exceptions or whatever, but, you know, that dipped into a lot of fighters kind of purses it's really made it something where you have to capitalize as much as possible on your image or your likeness because that's what you're trading with in the ufc well the thing that you mentioned is is big too if and this is for anybody that's been watching the ufc for a while of course would know this but and we've mentioned this before but any other new people to mma ufc or whatever back in those days even though fighters didn't make as much money they made a lot of money with sponsorships and everything. And for people Condom that, Depot that didn't watch. And... Exactly. Yeah. And for people that didn't watch back then, they would bring out like a banner. Right. And then the banner 
would be put behind them as they're standing in the cage and as they're walking around the cameras panning the banner would have their team on it their sponsors everything like that and then they also could put sponsors on their shorts and whatnot so there was a lot of revenue that they were able to generate even if you didn't have a big sponsor because you could get multiple sponsors so there was a lot of money generated so when all of that was removed and they got cut out because of the Reebok deal. But also when you look at it, going back to your point with the bonus, okay, if you're not a Connor, you're not a Mass Vidal or somebody like that, and you're not a champion, but you put on good performances in the UFC, there should at least be something in the bonus structure to heavily reward you. And let's say you're only fighting twice a year, right? You make an extra 100K, but for a lot of these guys, that's just enough to pay for all the training and everything, right? Well, it, yeah, and I think, you know, and it's one of those things when you, you look at these guys that are, aren't making as much, you know, there, there's some of these guys, you look like at Sean um, O'Malley or Patty the Batty, they are on the, like, these low contracts to where even if they get that 50K bonus, they didn't make that much money from right. the actual fighting. And Dana admitted, like, so in one of Patty's fights, they did the weigh-in. And you know how he releases every single, uh, on Instagram, like, each weigh-in at a time? So then everybody else was, you know, getting about 100,000 views or whatever. Patty's got one and a half million. But he's still fighting on this, this smaller contract. So and now he's going to be okay. But even if he makes that extra 50 grand, that's not... That's not going to touch what he's making off his social media or his other ways he has to generate money. Right, right. And But just imagine if those ways were as open as they were before. I think there would be less, there would be less conflict with fighters because they are making money. With a lot of these fighters, they're struggling really bad, especially let's say you're a really good fighter, but you don't have a big personality especially if you are foreign to the U.S., right? What do you do in those circumstances? They usually can't generate the wave or the buzz outside of, you know, everybody can't be a, um, uh, what's her name? Um, that just fought in bare knuckle, you know, the one that's married Paige to Paige Van Zandt? Yeah, everybody can't be a Paige Van Zandt, right? Paige Van Zandt um, was a, a good fighter. She also was very pretty and had charisma. So she has many avenues. And I mean, we got to call a spade a spade. She has the good old American look that they love, right? Mm -hmm. She's a cute girl, blonde hair, light eyes, right? So you factor all of that in. She has a wave of, of different ways that she could make revenue. You take that same fighter with the same skill level, right? It's still a good fighter or whatnot. Even make them a little bit better, but now make them foreign and don't have the personality or the look. That's a very different life, a very different lifestyle. And, and she still talked about how she struggled and how most of her money was made through promos, you know, from Instagram and whatnot. So to your point, it doesn't look like anything is going to change anytime soon with how much the revenue divide is coming over from the UFC to the fighters. Okay. That's probably a long shot, but to add, there's extra... no reason. There's no reason Felice Herrig should just retire because she can make more money selling pictures of her feet on OnlyFans. That's, that's not true. Fair. That, that is very, that's very true. But you know, to add a couple hundred thousand more, even just to bring it up to the level adjusted for inflation, mm -hmm. I, it, it doesn't make sense to me because the UFC is literally making more money than they were back in 2011. So well, it's and not it has right. a higher like net worth at that time. Yes. What was the UFC worth? A couple million dollars. Exactly. exactly. Now it's worth a few so, billion. Exactly. It makes a huge difference. So, to your point, it, there's a lot of things I don't agree with that Luke Rockhold says, but this is one where I would say I totally agree with him. I don't know if the number is 200000 but I think it should be at least 100000 in bonus money, um, you know, 
just bring it up to a level where that really means something. So now going back to your point, it's a guy and he might be making 16 and 16, right? But if he can fight three times a year and he can get two bonuses a year, right? He just made, you know, $230,000 for the year. No, it's not millions of dollars, but it definitely allows him to live, right? Even with paying out his manager, even with it paying out all his training and everything like that. And it can change his life and put him in a position to where he can now make more money because, you know, you can, you know, maybe bring in some better sparring partners. You can go train at a better gym. You can live a comfortable life where you're training full time and not bouncing in, you know, at the club at the weekend and stuff like that. So, yeah, it it makes it easier to become a professional fighter and commit as a professional athlete. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. But, um, to your point, when it comes to fighter pay, which we did an episode on that, it never came out. <laughs> At least I don't think it came out. But, uh, you know, maybe in the and future. And I believe that's the one thing I said I do not want to cover fighter yeah. pay. And then you yes. made me cover fighter like, pay anyways. Yes. And then didn't even drop it. Like, you know what? <laughs> I just, want, just wanted to make you talk just about torture. it. <laughs> but, um, you know, maybe in the future, if something happens, there's developments in any of these areas. Or some more numbers come out where we can do a deep dive, you know, at some point in the future. But moving on to our next topic, unless you, had you, anything you don't else. actually want to, you don't want to release an episode where I'm talking about fighter pay though, because people are gonna listen to it and be like, "Oh, was he a communist?" Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I need them to know who the real lock is. <laughs> Discussing so, fighter pay turns me into a communist. Exactly. So this past weekend, we had uh, UFC 275, a big event, two title fights, uh, but three big fights on that card. So the big fights was Wei Li versus uh, JJ, Joanna J part two, which, you know, that was, what was that fight? Two years ago, I think it was like fight of the year. Um, We had Valentina Shevchenko versus Talia Santos. And then we had Glover Teixeira making the first defense of his title versus Jiri. I cannot pronounce his last name. Uh, so, um, you know, a big, big event just with those three alone. And um, there were quite a few surprises there. I want to start off with um, with the Wei Lee JJ fight. So um, we know the outcome of that fight. Uh, you know, Wei Li end up winning uh, via stoppage, uh, you know, a KO. But in general, how did how did you see that fight? How was it going? What was your overall feeling? And then, of course, JJ retired at the end. What is your thoughts on that? It's it, it's sad. Uh, it, it, I was sadder than I thought I would be to see JJ go. I think the fight kind of went how I expected to, you know, Waylay's not to take away from, you know, Joanna's legacy in her career, but Waylay's the up and coming guy. She's, she's a monster. She's a tough girl. So I would have guessed an early finish and, uh, you know, it was, it was tough to see Joanna, you know, go out like that. Well, I mean, just to retire in general, just, you know, that she's done and to see her so emotional about it. You know, she's tried so hard to be the, the boogeyman to see her just be a person is, uh, like she's not a robot. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it was probably the right call. I think it was her time to go. Yeah, I blame a lot of the 80s movies, man. You know, they they trained us to believe that if you were from Russia or Germany or Poland or anything like that, you were big and scary and everything like that. And I think a lot of the people from that region, from, you know, Western Europe or in, in, uh, you know, anywhere in like uh, Russia or anything like that. The whole Eastern Bloc was, uh, they were all Terminators. Yep. Yeah, exactly. they're all fatal. Yeah, that's what I mean. Eastern Europe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so to your point, I agree. This is the issue. And I've talked about this before. JJ has not been the same since they switched her from being a Muay Thai fighter over to a kickboxer. Her mm-hmm. kickboxing in her division and in women's MMA is good. 
but it's not levels above everybody else. Her Muay Thai was damn near unstoppable. The difference is, even if you look at that fight, right? Because she's long and rangy, if they were going to switch her to a kickboxer, she should have grabbed a style that's more like a John Jones or more like uh, Adesanya or something like that because she's a very she's very long for the division, right? Well, I thought when that, she went up that to, why they supposed why she moved to more of a kickboxing background to take more advantage of her length. But she doesn't use it, which is the point that I was going into. That's not how she fights, right? So my point is, if you're going to do that, you have to fight long. She doesn't fight long at all. She doesn't do anything to keep that range. She goes in like a brawler, right? Which was her old style. But that works when, if you look at how many times she tried to punch Wei Li, and Wei Li, and they're both coming in, and Wei Li slips just a little bit and cracks her. The reason why that didn't happen before when she was a Muay Thai fighter, when she was in that close, she would throw what looked like it was going to be a punch, but then would end with an elbow. Very, very different. And then when they're in really close and it's a clinch, she always went directly to her knees. A lot of knees, a lot of elbows, especially on breaks and everything like that. When they turned her into a kickboxer, she stopped all of that. Which means now it left big holes in her game, particularly if she's not playing the range. We don't see any oblique kicks. We don't see any teats. We don't see any jab and moves. We don't see any of the things that we see with long fighters that know how to play range. Correct. We don't see any of that. So now you do enough of that, you frustrate the opponent, and now you can really go in on them. So that still works for your average fighter that she would go up against but not going up against the top of the competition. And when you go back and look, that's also how Rose was able to get her. She was able to slip really good and tag her because when you have that style, you also have to have a lot of movement, a lot of head movement, which she doesn't have. Muay Thai fighters are more straight in your face, right? It's not like um, the movement that you would have, like let's say if you watch... um, like if we look at a bang Muay Thai or something, right? Where it's a lot of movement, angles, ranges, and everything like that. Your typical Muay Thai, which you know his style is a little bit more Dutch style. Your typical Muay Thai is kind of in front of you straight up and just a lot of blocks. But because they're in so close, it makes it easier for those other weapons. The elbows, the knees, and whatnot. You can't take those away and fight at that distance with that limited footwork and that limited head movement. And I think that was ultimately her downfall. And I've said it many times. And she was by far one of my favorite fighters. So definitely a sad day to see her retire. But I'm happy she retired. Because I don't think she was going to... It stand with ATT. I don't think there was going to be a change. She... It all went downhill with the boob job, man. That was a part of it. That was definitely a part of it. You know, she started living a different lifestyle. We, I mean, we've seen it with many fighters. Uh, Connor, Ronda Rousey, like the next level of fame. Uh, Tyron Woodley to some extent, I would say. Ron- Listen, don't nobody talk <laughs> bad about... Matter of fact, I need that as a sound. So anytime somebody says something about Ronda Rousey, I can just push a button <laughs> and say, wait a minute, don't nobody... T-. But no, I agree. I tried to you. sneak it in the middle. <laughs> No, I totally agree. Um, It definitely, the lifestyle affects you. And then a lot of the foreign fighters that move to America and kind of get some love and then go back to their home country and get love. It's, you know, it's it's a different experience. So, you know, but there's a line in Rocky three where uh, Mickey's telling Rocky says it's the worst thing that could possibly happen to a fighter. You got civilized. And it's, there's a lot of truth to that statement. It's a movie, but. It is true. Yeah, I would agree. Any any other words on that one before we move on to the next fight? Probably the most controversial. Uh, last thing though is it just uh, it's it sucks to see Joanna go, but it seems like the perfect time. You know, like she's 
she's not going out at the top like Khabib, but you know, it's not also, you know, it's not BJ Penn status. It's not like where right. it's getting to where it's starting to take away from her legacy. She was still losing, but she was losing against the top guys in tough fights. You know what? Go make your money elsewhere. Go live your life and, uh, you know, in- enjoy, enjoy your new breasts. Yeah, and even though she was losing that fight, you know, she got caught by something. It's one of those things with those, you know, freak spinning back fists. I mean, as we know, uh, you know, uh, GSP lost his title that way. It happens, man. A lot of times you just don't expect it. You know, you I did want coming. to throw in – what was that? You just don't see it coming. Exactly. I did want to throw in one more thing before we move on. Um, of course, as we know – um uh, the t- the ch- uh, champion right now is Carla Esparza in that weight class. And um, two things happened. One, um, Dana said that the winner of this fight was going to fight the champion. But then also Carla Esparza just came out and basically said she's not going to fight right now. Uh, Wei Lee has to wait until she's ready. And this is almost a whole nother topic, but what she ended up saying was last time when she won the title, she was pressured into fighting right away. So three months later, after the winning the title, beating Rose, she was pressured into the JJ fight in which she feels like she wasn't ready. It was too soon. And of course, as we know, you know, she got destroyed in under two rounds. So she's basically saying, this will happen when I say it's going to happen, but especially based on her saying that it's not within the next three months. Now I have mixed feelings about that. I agree with her about the pressure and everything, but about every three to four months is when you should expect to fight and defend the title as a champion. I don't think that's unreasonable to think that you should fight in that amount of time. What's your thoughts? I I disagree 100%, and I think every champion should listen to me now. Moving forward, all Jermaine (laughs) Sterling is the new standard. You you get that championship clause in your contract, you get that championship belt, you're a fighter, something's wrong. Go get that fixed, first of all. Get that surgery, and uh, yeah. That that part I agree with. (laughs) Take take your time, just wait. Uh, You're you're the champ. And and I don't think necessarily, and, and I know she did say that, but I think her real concern, I don't think she's going to wait that long. I think she didn't like uh, Wei Lei's call out. Because I don't know if you heard what she said, but she said she, she said in August, I think it was, whatever, she picked a month and she said, because the card was, she said, we'll do it in neutral territory. She wants to fight her in Abu Dhabi. And I think that's what Carla didn't like is saying. I'm the champ, and now you're going to come in and tell me, yeah, I'm the new challenger, and we're going to do a neutral territory because I like this card in this month. I think I would also say, hold on a second. You know, I'm going to let me turn on this belt for a second. Yep, this says I'm still the champ. Uh, don't tell me where you where you decided we're going to fight at. So I'm glad you told me that I did not hear. I watched the fight at B-Dubs, and and that's one of the things at B-Dubs. You just never hear what the fighters say at the end, right? Um, So I watched it at B-Dubs, and I did not hear that part. So, yeah, that definitely makes sense uh, from that point. Um, And I agree with what you said as as far as the, um, you know, as far as the Sterling thing, but I don't think that he purposely was – I don't think his stance was the same as her stance as much as it was. I think he really had shit that he needed to get done. And when you have the belt, why not use that as a time to go ahead and be your best to now go and defend? And we've seen that with a lot of fighters, but to just say you're not going to do it or you're going to wait and you just got the belt, that's a good way to, that's a good way to become the next Tyron Woodley. To really get on the UFC's bad side, get on right? His shit list. Yeah, like why do it when we see how the outcome you're comes? You're playing the Ngannou playbook. Unless you're really see, Ngannou's different because the difference with him is, like we talked about before, he's out of his contract. Technically, he's not out, but he's he's he has. I think it was um that was his last fight, but the clause was because he won that fight, 
it extends his contract one year. But he decided, okay, well, during that one year, I need surgery. Why not do it now while I'm still under the UFC banner? I can get some, you know, some payment from the UFC for that, right? And now, because I'm injured and I'm not going to be cleared, you can't force me to fight during that year's time. To me, that's a great move. And if all goes to shit while I'm out of the UFC anyway. But when you have a, you know, when you have a contract and you're still locked into a certain amount of fights, it's very few people that really, truly have the wherewithal to go through that battle with the UFC. So why go down that road? But the caveat is, to your point, if it's really a response to Wei Lee and her trying to make the date and whatnot, yeah, fuck you. <laughs> I'm the champ. I'm the champ, you know? Okay. Well, so it's probably next... a little bit of both. I think, you know, mm-hmm. last time you lost the title, you know, it, it was it was a brand new division, probably felt some pressure off that. You're coming off the show, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And then now you finally get your moment again. And now the former champ is calling her shots. Um, I don't know. I don't like that fight for Carla, though. Oh, that fight is definitely not good for her. But I mean, what else do you what else do you have? I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know, shoot. So and, and I don't think that the um, I don't think that another fight with her and Rose would go the same. But I also don't know that the UFC wants to book that at all based on what happened, right? I think Rose and her team has to wake up. That game plan was horrendous. If Rose fights anything, and as you know, this was my frustration with Rose. We had a whole episode on it talking about this. I don't understand how she loses to fighters like Cookie Monster, Carla Esparza, but then goes out there and destroys killers like Wei Li and JJ. It does not make mathematical sense in my head. I can't compute it, right? It's, it's so, bizarre. Exactly. But uh, So the next fight, this was very controversial. I don't want to give any input at all because we know this is one of my girls. Be So I want to get your input first on the Shevchenko-Santos fight. Going into this one, I thought, okay, do I play nice and try not to piss him off? Or do I just go hard in the paint and dunk on his girl? But to be honest, I have to, uh, I kind of have to saddle. I don't know what your opinion is on the fight, but I actually have to go with the best number one champion on this one because I feel mm-hmm. like. I feel like it was a win. I can I get that it's a split decision fight, uh, but I think she won that fight. Um, I think she outstruck her in every round. Um, I mean, I know there was some control time, but I don't think it, you know, overwhelmed the damage. That was, you know, when you look, when you look at it like that. So I actually think I, I would like to say that Shevchenko got lucky just to irritate you. But in reality, Damn, I feel damn, like damn, damn. <laughs> I feel like it was the right call. I feel like Shevchenko won that fight. Yeah, no, I, I feel like she won the fight, and I saw the fight. I didn't see it as a split decision. I saw it somewhere between four to one to three to two for Shevchenko. The issue is, and we've talked about this many times before. From now on, we're gonna have to call me the good DC. And Daniel Cormier, the evil DC. Okay, just so people don't get confused on this podcast, we say DC did this, right? So the evil DC, (laughs) whenever he's a commentator, and we've talked about this before, he dramatically over-dramatizes anybody that takes anyone to the ground. You can beat somebody black and blue for three minutes, they can take you to the ground for a minute, don't do any damage and have control, and you all can get up for the final minute, and it can be somewhat of an even contest, and he will say that the person that took the person down won. 
this fight to me was a great example of that. And he's so convincing and his energy is so big. Whoever he's around automatically buys into what he says. And that's what I saw this fight. I saw the striking as a complete, like, it was a no contest. Santos was big. She was strong. And I think she fought a good fight. And that was the fight that she should have fought. And I don't think that Shevchenko was the most ready for that fight. But I think she did what a champion does, which was still find a way to pull it off in tough fights where you may not have been the best prepared because you're so prepared, right? When you prepare everywhere, there's going to be times where people trick you, especially the newer up and coming person where you don't have, you know, five years of footage on them to prepare for, right? Um, but I think Santos and her team did a great job. I think she did what she supposed to did. I think her stock rose, even though there was a loss. Uh, some people are even calling for an immediate rematch, which is good for Santos. Well, could be good and bad. But um, I definitely think that Shevchenko won that fight. I think it was a clear win, even though I think it was a close fight, if that makes sense. I think it was close in that, you have part around striking and then part around on the ground. The problem was when it was on the ground, it was only ground control. There was some threats with some chokes, but there was nothing. And it's funny, like right after that, Shevchenko on her uh, Twitter put out a photo. It was like it was like the next day after the fight. She had only thing she had was one bruise on her inner thigh, not a scratch on her, right? And um. I think it was evident of how that fight went. And this goes back to, of course, one of the problems that we solved because we solved many problems. If the scoring changes, the judging changes, that's a clear win for Shevchenko. It's not even a question. If you put DC out there commentary and there's any type of grappler and they pit takes that person down once each round, it doesn't matter what else happens in that fight. Evo DC is going to convince everybody that that person won that fight. And that's what I think happened there. I don't disagree with anything you said. It just, the, the reason that DC, it doesn't bother me with DC as much is because being a, a wrestling fan for so long, I feel like it's always been biased the other way, you know, that where the, the wrestling just has gotten overlooked for so long that, I, I appreciate someone, even if they're a little over the top and they're pitching, at least they're doing it for wrestling. Like, he's a wrestling show. Look, he might not be right, but I, I get it. I'm a bit of a show myself when it comes to, you know, the takedowns and uh, top position grappling. I just need him to have one event where he starts off the same way that I always start off, the good DC, and I let you know up front that I'm biased. Because at that point in time, I can accept everything. He needs to start off by saying, listen, you know, I'm a wrestler. Mm -hmm. I'm biased. But this is how it's... Then it's like, oh, okay, we have a litmus test to judge it for. But from the standpoint at which he talks, he talks like he's an unbiased expert of MMA, and this is what it should be. An expert of MMA, an expert of the rules, and this is what it should be. And quite frankly... Me, the good DC, who's had no fights, I said he's absolutely wrong, and I'm calling him out. And if he if he has a problem with it, we could thumb wrestle over it, because that's about <laughs> the only type of wrestling I'm going to do with him, because I'm not coming back with a broken neck. But he's wrong. I, I think there's a possibility he could still hurt you thumb wrestling. It's very well possible. <laughs> but uh, one of the things I wanted to say about the, uh, you know, you said it's a close fight. I agree that I think it was, I would have it scored as unanimous decision, but I do think it was a close fight. That's why I'm not mad it was a split decision. But what people got to realize sometimes is it can be a unanimous, it can be a close fight and one person could still win every single round and it'd be yep. a great close fight. Because you're yep. scoring it by round. So it's not cumulative. So it's not like, oh, since you did really good, we give you these couple rounds. Like, you know, you could have lost every single round in an amazing fight that you fought your ass off on. So yeah, unanimous exactly. versus split decision just shows how the 
performance was divided up, not necessarily how one-sided it was. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, I definitely agree. And that's kind of how I saw that fight. And that's why I said four, one, three, two, I really only got, gave, um, you know, I really only gave Santos one round, but also me being biased, I'm like, well, I do see I can give her one more round based on X, Y, Z, right? But especially when you get into those championships rounds, four and five was like not even close at all. Like nothing was there as close, right? So that means you literally would have to give her one, two, and three for her to get any type of decision. And to me, I just don't see that at all. Even with those rounds being, as you mentioned, if they're close, it was still close. But in my opinion, one person clearly won those rounds, right? So that was the issue. Anything left on that before we move into the main event? Yeah, just last thing kind of quick. Shevchenko is putting together one of those runs, though, where she did win that fight and she should have. But how many times, how many runs have we seen killed by that fight that they should have won, that they got the bad call on? And, you know, she wins these decisions. And, uh, like... that's a huge deal because we've seen so many times that one split decision loss, then it turns into another thing and then they go up a division and then they go down a division and then they, you know, so she's, she's got lady luck on her side and new scraps and uh, that, that really builds for a good legacy. And I think I, I like every opportunity in front of her. So you could do the Santos rematch. I think she finishes her in a rematch you got uh, Chikugian out there is coming off a four-fight winning streak. I think she finishes her again. Or she could go up and fight Pena. And, I mean, I could see that going either way. But I should I really like Shevchenko's chances in that fight. And then that puts her to the top of the all-time greatest female fighters ever. Yeah, I agree. And those split decisions can change a lot of things. I mean, even if we go to a fight that we've talked about many times before. If we look at Shevchenko Nunez, their two fights, both very close fights that Nunez got the nod on. Do we, do we call Nunez same exact fight? We don't change anything in the fight, right? But they were very close. And at least one of them was a split decision, but let's say they go Shevchenko's way. What is Nunez's legacy? right? Everything else the same. So yeah, those close fights, winning those close fights, um, had, it definitely affects your legacy, but that's also one of the reasons why I still have the old school outlook. I think that a challenger has to take the belt from the champ, right? I don't, if it's even, if you see it, in, it looks dead even, in my opinion, that should go to the champion. And there's a lot of reasons why I'll just give one. And I've, I've mentioned this before. When you're a champion and you have longevity, it's harder to stay at the top because more and more people are preparing for you before they're even getting a chance to fight you. There's more footage, more everything. When you're new and up and coming, it's easier to surprise people. Right. So at that point, in nobody's time, looking pa- nobody's looking past you. Correct. And that's why a lot of times when they run those back, the champion in the original champion ends up winning and it's short work. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's one of the reasons. So that's the reason why the old school boxing mentality of you have to take the belt from the champion. I believe that if the fight is even, that should go to the champion, my opinion. But that's Um, neither here nor there. John Jones dominates rematches. Yes. Like, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily consider him a high, uh, like a high IQ fighter or whatever. But yeah, if he gets to download what you're, you know, doing, I mean, I actually think those are some of the only fights he finishes. So you look at Gus, uh, Cormier. Yeah, uh, later in his career, later in his career, but we know what that was the cause for. Uh, you know, a lot of times before that fight, you know, he. You know, he had a few <laughs> things going on. You know, he wasn't as focused. But the second time around, he was focused. You know, and he's like, no, I'm going to go out. I got footage. I downloaded the information. I'm going to destroy this dude. So, 
Totally agree there. But now moving on to the main event. Speaking Glover of light heavyweights. <laughs> Glover Tashira versus Jiri, a last name I can't pronounce. Um, I like that fight. I thought it was a really good fight. It didn't go the direction I wanted it to go in. But uh, Jiri is interesting as a champion. I'm very interested to see how he's going to do against other people in the division. He has a weird style, and I can't really tell if it's going to be great or if it's going to be a one or two and done. So I'll kick it off to you first, get your thoughts on, you know, that fight. So I don't know if I would call it a good fight as much as I call it a fun fight. It, It was a fun fight. Um, it was a good fight. Look, Stefan Bonner versus Forrest was a fun, it was a good fight, you know, um, <laughs> it, it wasn't the most technical event, but you know, um, it, I like Yuri. He does have an exciting style. I think it makes the, the division a little interesting, man, without John Jones, that light heavyweight division, it always has been kind of too, like they just pass that belt around. I feel like there's. I looked it up a little bit. I don't have all the stats on it, but there, I don't know that any belt has been passed around as much as the light heavyweight strap. Like, cause there's so many one or no defense type, you know, outside you got Chuck Cormier and John Jones and then Tito and that's everybody else. It's win one, pass it on, you know, Rashad, it was rampage to forest to Rashad to Machida, like, handing it off and then uh seems like we're kind of back to it and if you look the last defense was against a middleweight stepping up you know and uh it would be interesting to see if yuri could be that guy that could actually dig in and reestablish, you know a new empire in uh in that division and and i think it is doable if he can get past jan I think he could definitely put together a run. Yeah, I think what you said is um, important. And this is one of those areas I think everything I say is important. Like 99.9% <laughs> of it isn't. So I like to clarify when it is. So, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, so I think... This is one of those things that people don't understand when somebody's a long-running champ. And for some reason, whenever you do something too long or you're too good, everybody comes out of the woodwork with just finding reasons to hate or shit on you. And with fighters, it always comes down to this person hasn't fought anybody. You are not a long-running champ and haven't fought anybody. Those two things doesn't equal to one another right because there's always contenders and people coming up and when that long reigning chap is gone you really get a chance to see the rest of the division because the difference is that long reigning chap was good enough to separate themselves from the pack for years nobody else is that good even if all the people are really good it's not big enough for them to separate themselves from everybody else for a number of years, right? And that's what I think you're seeing. And you look at people like the people, even the fighters that talked a lot of shit about John Jones and John Jones scared of them and everything like that. Well, what happened after the John Jones fight? Okay, you got robbed. Cool, you got robbed. You should be the champ because you beat John Jones. What happened after the John Jones fight? Every time they lose. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? Uh uh I, I forget the last dude, but he lost to uh I think he Reyes? lost to both yeah, he lost to um Jan and Glover, right? Who did he lose to? Uh he I'll lost a couple in a, in a row. Yeah, I got it right here. Like, he lost to yeah, Yuri and and Jan. Okay, yeah. So it's like, you know okay, let's say you did get the title. These are your next defenses. You still lose it right away. You're no John Jones. These people that that become champions and that can hold the belt for an extended period of time, they are different than the rest of the group. I don't care how many times you can say, hey, I almost beat you. You're not like them. 
<laughs> and that's what people don't understand. They are a caliber above the rest. Santos almost won that split decision, mm-hmm. then lost to Glover and Rasek. Exactly. Exactly. Like literally it's- everybody that John Jones had a close fight with lost coming off of it. Yeah, and I think part of that is the champion has a different mentality. The belt is not the goal. Truly, world dominance is the goal. With a lot of these guys, just getting to the title is their title. It's a whole different mentality. Something different clicks. And they don't have it after that. But Did you ever hear it, Rashad talk about that? I didn't. What did he say? So he said it was it was kind of uh, I don't I'm paraphrasing so I don't remember it exactly mm-hmm. but like the day after he won the title was one of the most lost or saddest days he ever had because his whole life had been about that title and then he had the title and he was like well, that was my goal I got it I don't know where where to go from here and mm-hmm. I don't feel any different like that it's, that, it's, that's it's just kind of the, the the thing you know and he lost. He didn't defend it. He lost it in his next fight. And uh, I think there's something to what you said. A lot of these people's goal is the title. No, John Jones' goal is world dominance. Yeah, that's everybody. GSP I mean, the title is part of it, but you know, he's got so many titles like stacked up. He's used to those. Yeah, GSP kind of talked about that, and he talked about after winning the belt and things of that sort. And he he talked about for him, the good thing was it made him mentally worse, but better in the cage because he said now all of a sudden it was like, it made him scared because he knew everybody was coming for his head and he had to do everything he could to be the best, to make sure that they can't go and take it right now. Again, I'm paraphrasing. Those were not his words. Right. But, um, but just because you don't do accents, (laughs) <laughs> I definitely I definitely don't do the GSP accent the French Canadian accent I do not do but um, you know that that's a big thing but when you look at people that are at the top of that heap it's different you know even if we look at the ones that couldn't keep it like a Connor Connor has that same mentality the difference is when he moved up in weight I really think that skill for skill, it was just more even than the people he were fighting. But that mentality, he had that I'm going out to kill you every night mentality. I don't think it was as simple as I got this belt and I'm over. Now, of course, as we talked about a little bit earlier, there were other things that went on, like especially once he got a lot of money from the liquor and everything like that, that kind of hurt him. But I think he still had that go out and kill mentality. Some of these guys, once they get there, even if they don't win it, just getting to that, that becomes so big for them. They don't have the wherewithal to do it day in and day out. And that's the difference going back to that saying that um, I think it was um, a Mar- Marvin, uh, Marvin, Marvin Hagler, rest in peace, saying that um, I don't remember who it was. I think it was his his that talked about, you know, how it's hard to get up and train in, in silk draws you know silk robe whatever it was but you know there's something too and this is one of the reasons why i give longevity people at the top of the heap for longevity i put them so high i understand the difference of what it takes when you're already at the top to do that day in and day out year in and year out when you already have everything Mm -hmm. it's a different caliber of person that has to do that and Everybody has all the footage on everything you've ever done. It's out there. And now you're fighting the new up-and-coming guy that literally was a kid when you won your title. And he's watched all of your fights. He's your biggest fan. And now he's coming to kill you. Like Adesanya kind of talking about, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, talking about uh, Silva, right? He's like, you know, I remember watching this guy. Like, I was young when he won the title. You know, Silva won the title in, I don't remember the year, but it had to be like, maybe like what, 2008-ish, something like that. I think he won the title, 2008, 2009. I know it was, wasn't was after 2009. I know that for sure. 
had to be somewhere in the 2008-ish range. But, um, but yeah, you know, you figure you look at something like that and then you got a young up and coming. Yeah, so even earlier than that, right? So, and then you have a, a Adesanya that fought him a few years ago, you know, <laughs> right? right? We're talking about, you know, a long time later. So you have that. Um, and I just think that people don't realize how important that is. But to comment on what you said about specifically um, um, Jerry or Yuri and uh, Glover, I actually thought it was a really good fight. I was frustrated with Glover because I think he actually could have finished Yuri. For some reason, every time he got Yuri on the ground, and we everybody knows Glover has heavy hands. Instead of really putting in ground and pound, he kept repeatedly going for chokes that would get reversed by Yuri. And I don't understand that for the world of me. And a few times he would ground and pound, especially throwing elbows in. They were very effective. And then Yuri would cover up and then he goes for the choke. And I think that's funny, particularly because he ended up getting choked out. Right. But I think he could have stopped it, even if it wasn't Yuri going unconscious. I think enough of those strikes, the ref would have stopped it. But I think that that was still a fight that shows that Glover still has it if he wants to keep fighting. But as his at his age and the style of fighting that he fights, he's another guy that I would like to see retire. Um Going back to, you know, a point that I always make, I just want to see him be able to talk to his kids and grandkids. You know, I love him as a fighter. I wish he's one of those guys that we could have gotten the UFC a lot earlier, um, you know, because I think he probably would have been one of those champions that we were talking about a lot earlier. Yeah, he was uh, 42, right? Yeah, he's 42 years old. He fights a very rugged style of fighting. You got that elusive belt, which is, you know, this a big cherry on your career that you've been looking for for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think he was like, when he came into UFC, I think he was like 33, 34 or something. He was in his 30s when he came to the UFC. He's 33. I remember, yeah, I remember the issue was they had been trying to get him for a while, but he kept having, I think he was here illegally for a while. And so they couldn't get him in and then he got deported and they were trying to get him back, but he was dealing with visa issues and everything. But, um, you know, and he made an impact as soon as he came, he's been a a top contender his whole career in the UFC, even coming in, you know, that age, that late in the game. Um, and you know, he's another guy that gave John Jones a tough fight. It was a fight. John Jones clearly won, but it was definitely, Especially up until that point, that may have been one of John Jones' toughest fights. It was one of the first fights where you saw some damage on John Jones's face, you know. Um, so that was a, a big one, and a fight where we saw John Jones change his style. That was the first time he fought in close with a lot of elbows, went old school, Randy Couture, a lot of pushing Glover against the cage and dirty boxing and elbows because. Glover was able to kind of get in on what he was trying to do with range. Um, so that was a, if people haven't watched that, that's a good fight to go back and watch. Isn't that the one where John Jones like yanked his arm and like yanked his shoulder out or something? And he fought like most of it. Like, yeah, he did do something with his arm. I forgot. It was like it a was. weird yank. It's something where like, I don't want to say dirty because it's a legal move, but like it was a little bit off. Like, it was when they were up against the cage grappling. Yeah, kind of yeah. grabbed it and yanked it. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what it... I definitely remember that, but I'm trying to remember exactly what he did. But yeah, to your point, he did do something with his arm. But hey, it's legal. I'm all for it. And, you know, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. <laughs> the, the shoulder break, the the oblique kicks. He loves, yeah. the, he loves that gray area, man. Hey, it's whatever. Hey, one of one of my all time, you know, favorite boxers, Roy Jones Jr. You know, I never forget the fight he did that with uh, Eric Harding. Eric Harding was a big boy, and you know, he I forget what originally happened. He did something. He saw something with the way Eric Harding threw a punch or something like that, 
And from that point forward, he literally started throwing every punch to his shoulder. Took his arm out, you know, and that was all she wrote, you know. And, hey, I appreciate that kind of science in boxing. To me, that's as, that's as good as, you know, kicking a dude really low in the calf and, you know, making his whole leg go numb. To yep. me, it's like I, I, I like those type of chess matches. You know, I don't like the stuff that's truly dirty, truly illegal, right? Right, when until someone's punching the area, shit out of your fucking shoulder. Like, God damn, dude. <laughs> hey, when you're in that gray area, hey, I'm all for it. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else on this one before we wrap it up? Nope, we'll see how it goes. I'm always rooting for a new uh, badass champion in light heavyweight, so I would like to see it, but my prediction... He fights Jan, loses it, and then Jan fights. You know, we're going to play hot potato with it until a new, the new John Jones arises. But I don't think it's going to be for the next year or two. I think they'll play hot potato for a minute. Yeah, I don't don't see the person that I think can separate themselves right now. Nobody at that weight division excites me enough to say, hey, watch this person. They're they're really going to be a problem. It's a lot of good fighters, a lot, a lot of good fighters. But I I don't see the person that looks like they're really going to separate themselves from the pack. So I definitely would agree with you there. Well, that wraps up another great episode of the Fat Boy MMA Podcast. Um, As usual, you can check us out over at links.fatboymma.podcast. See the social medias, all of that kinds of stuff. Uh, I think this summer I'm going to try to put together something with some merch, maybe give some type of giveaway or something like that. Um, So yeah, uh, reach out to us, leave any reviews or anything like that. But other than that, that wraps up another great episode. Thanks for listening. Come again. That wraps up another fat boy MMA podcast. If you have a topic for us, please email us at fatboymma 55 at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media by going to links.fatboymma.com. That's links.fatboymma.com. Thank you for listening.